48K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Andrew Shirovsky. The headlines, Carrie Lam plays down comparisons between Hong Kong's COVID strategy and that of rivals as Singapore announces an end to quarantine. The government reveals it's asked mainland officials to send Chinese medicine specialists to bolster its coronavirus response. And China says it's regrettable that the UN Security Council has blocked a Russian resolution on aid for Ukraine. The chief executive, Kerry Lam, has rejected comparisons between Hong Kong's anti-COVID strategy and that of regional rival Singapore. The Singapore government announced this morning that vaccinated travelers would no longer have to quarantine from next month. Asked about Singapore's move at her daily briefing, Mrs. Lam noted that she had ended flight bans and reduced quarantine requirements. She had this to say about the way forward. The um, policies and measures to be adopted by each government in combating uh, COVID-19 uh, epidemic uh, differ. I don't think there is a one size that fits all. I also don't believe that there are only two pathways. Uh, that's why I said that, that, that perhaps it's not very meaningful to ask us to choose whether you are going for route A or route B. We will have to adjust and do whatever is in the best interests of Hong Kong. Mrs. Lam added that access to the mainland and international connectivity are both very important to the SAR. She says her government aims to reopen the border with both the mainland and the rest of the world. Towards the end of last year, uh, we did work very hard in trying to uh, resume quarantine travel into the mainland first. And I have um, I've told you many times that we were at a very advanced stage of announcing uh, such a scheme. So I, I, I remain very uh, optimistic that once this wave subsides, we will pick up on the earlier discussions. And at the same time, uh, we will be able to open up to the rest of the world. The chief executive also said she'd asked Beijing to send another team of Chinese medicine experts to Hong Kong to help fight the Omicron outbreak. Mrs. Lam said the SAR could learn from mainland experience in using traditional medicine to fight the pandemic. She also said there were no plans to require people to be vaccinated when accessing public hospitals and clinics. The Education Secretary, Kevin Young, says officials are drawing up special arrangements for this year's university entrance exams in the hope that candidates affected by COVID can sit the papers. Mr. Young says officials want close contacts of patients to be able to sit the DSE and, if possible, to extend it to pupils infected with COVID. Speaking on a radio show, he said the priority was to avoid risk. Our direction is to see whether pupils can take the exams in an isolation facility. But there are limitations, like how many people can take the exam at one time and how many invigilators we need. So we're looking at the feasibility. We first hope to facilitate the close contacts because their risk is lower. After we look at the situation, can we still let some infected pupils into the venue? But of course we have to consider the infection risk if we put patients near close contacts and whether this will pose a risk to invigilators. A pediatrician is urging parents to get their children vaccinated in case there's a rebound in infections when schools resume in late April and a flight ban and hotel quarantine is eased next week. Dr. Alvin Chan, a member of the Medical Association, was commenting after authorities said schools could resume full-day in-person classes if 90% of pupils are vaccinated. Dr. Chan said this target would be difficult as only half of primary pupils had received one jab. He urged parents not to be hesitant, as jabs are safe. It seems 
it's quite slow to have the uh, vaccination in this age group. Up to now, with all the efforts, only uh, about uh, 58% of this age group of young children have been vaccinated and only 12% have uh, the second dose. And so within one month, uh, we wish to have rushed to have 90% from 58%. Then, of course, it's not really easy. A mainland expert on infectious diseases says maintaining normal operations and achieving dynamic zero COVID are equally important in the fight against the pandemic. Vicky Wong reports. Writing on his Weibo social media account, Zhang Wenhong says the fight against the pandemic will be lengthy and it's important to make sure people can live their normal lives. Dr. Zhang says that what authorities have learnt in tackling a recent outbreak in Shanghai is to not neglect the basic needs of citizens who are under lockdown. Shanghai has been grappling with its worst COVID outbreak in two years, but the expert says the situation appears to be improving. The nation's most populous city reported four more symptomatic cases and 979 asymptomatic infections, a slight increase from a day earlier. In total, the National Health Commission reported 2,010 symptomatic local cases, down from 2,591 the day before, with the bulk still found in northeastern Jilin province. The government says almost 100,000 people have applied for its new subsidy for the unemployed, 24 hours after applications opened. Speaking on a radio show, Doris Ho, who heads the Policy Innovation and Coordination Office, said five service centres set up across the SAR had helped around 1,000 citizens with their applications in the first day. She urged members of the public to book before heading to the centres, so officials know to add more staff or to extend opening hours. A group representing businesses that provide jobs for disabled and other disadvantaged groups says many of its members have seen sales slashed during the pandemic, with some seeing their incomes wiped out. The General Chamber of Social Enterprises said the government should help keep such businesses with rents, subs- rent subsidies and support for staff training. Andy Ng from the Chamber said some social enterprises fear they will have to close if the fifth wave of the pandemic isn't under control by June. Quite many of our social enterprises are now employing those, uh, this awareness group, vulnerable groups. And these people usually, it's not easy to get an uh, open appointment uh, in the uh, open market. So if we don't have this social enterprise to employ them, that means that uh, there will be quite a lot of laws in the sense that, well, these people will become jobless and uh, they well, will become left, being left idle at home again. And so it's really a, a shame to have such kind of situation. Overseas, a Russian draft resolution on Ukraine has failed at the United Nations Security Council with only Russia and China voting for it. All 13 other members abstained. The draft resolution called for the passage of aid and the protection of civilians in Ukraine without mentioning the Kremlin's responsibility for the crisis. China's representative Zhang Jun said the rejection of the resolution was regrettable. China's vote in favor of the draft resolution was based on our call for the international community to attach high importance to the humanitarian situation in Ukraine. And for the parties concerned to strengthen coordination on humanitarian issues so as to effectively protect the safety of civilians, especially women, children and other vulnerable groups, and to facilitate the personnel evacuation and humanitarian relief operations. Britain's ambassador to the UN, Barbara Woodward, spoke to reporters after the vote. 
The resolution that we saw today was a cynical effort by Russia to exploit the crisis which they have caused. Their resolution called for respect for international humanitarian law, but overlooked the fact that they are committing war crimes. Their resolution did not call for the one thing that would work, which is that Russia needs to stop its invasion of Ukraine. President Biden is in Brussels for an emergency meeting of NATO and the G7 summit to discuss Ukraine a month after Russia launched its invasion. NATO was expected to agree on the deployment of troop reinforcements in Eastern Europe. Ian Stoltenberg is the head of the alliance. There are now hundreds of thousands of Allied troops at heightened readiness across the alliance. 100,000 U.S. troops in Europe and 40,000 forces under direct NATO command, mostly in the eastern part of the alliance. The G7 gathering will coordinate the enforcement of wide-ranging sanctions against Russia announced in recent weeks. The White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said further measures would also be imposed on Russian politicians, oligarchs and institutions. A last-minute policy reversal by the Taliban in Afghanistan has upset tens of thousands of teenage girls as secondary schools were shut just hours after they were reopened. The Taliban had promised to allow girls to return to class. Ravina Shamdasani is the spokesperson for the Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. We share the profound frustration and disappointment of Afghan high school girls and women who after six months of anticipation were prevented from returning to school today. The de facto authorities' failure to reopen schools for girls above the sixth grade, in spite of repeated commitments, is deeply damaging for Afghanistan. Madeleine Albright, the first woman to become U.S. Secretary of State, has died. She was 84. Born in Prague, Ms. Albright arrived in the United States as a refugee in 1948. She served in the Clinton administration, becoming a key player in formulating U.S. policy in the post-Cold War world, and was a champion of NATO expansion. Ms. Albright spoke to the BBC in 2015 about her career in politics. When I became Secretary of State, I decided to put women's issues central to American foreign policy, not just because I am a feminist, but because just um, logic says that if women are politically and economically empowered, the societies are more stable. It's been revealed that the ex-wife of one of the world's wealthiest men, the Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, has donated more than a billion U.S. dollars to charity in the past week. Mackenzie Scott has an estimated net wealth of about $50 billion. The BBC's Grant Ferret reports. Mackenzie Scott is one of a select group of billionaires who promised to give away most of their wealth. Even by her own impressive philanthropic standards, she's had a remarkable week. She donated $275 million to the Planned Parenthood group and over $400 million to affordable housing organisations, as well as other causes. Since her divorce settlement three years ago, which gave her a 4% share in Amazon, she's also given to small-scale organisations, including food banks. Recipients praise the lack of bureaucracy attached to her donations. A short time ago, the Hang Seng Index was at 22,225. That's 77 points up on the previous close. Turnover stands at $78.1 billion. In foreign exchange, the currencies, U.S. dollars trading at 121.21 to the yen. The euro stands at 1 U.S. dollar and 9 cents. And the pound will get you 10 Hong Kong dollars and 31 cents. 
In sport, football's World Cup qualifying in Asia resumes today with three, ta- three teams battling for two places in Qatar 2022. Iran and South Korea have already qualified from Group A. Saudi Arabia, Japan and Australia are fighting to finish in the top two for direct qualification from Group B. The leaders Saudi Arabia play China tonight. Japan visit Australia in a clash of second and third. Our football commentator Chris K.L. Lau says the Australians have been hit with a spate of injuries ahead of the biggest match of their campaign. Despite home advantage, Australia has a huge injury crisis. Midfielders Aaron Moy, Jackson Irvine, Riley McGree are all out. Celtic star Tom Rogic is also now injured. The list is actually much longer. Coach Graham Arnold has had to give a first test to 34-year-old Uruguayan-born striker Bruno Fornali and has had to recall 37-year-old Sydney FC captain Alex Wilkinson. If Tim Cahill was still available, there was no doubt that he would also be called up. Japan have won five qualifiers in a row and have a strong squad, and a win will see them qualify for the World Cup Finals. If Australia do finish third in the group, they will have to go to the playoffs. Australia have not beaten Japan since 2009. In the Women's Champions League, Juventus have beaten Lyon in their quarterfinal first leg, while Arsenal pulled even with Wolfsburg. More details from the BBC's Paul Serres. Juventus came from a goal down to beat the seven-time former winners Lyon 2-1 in the first leg of their quarter-final tie in the Women's European Champions League. Lyon were in control until their Australian international defender Ellie Carpenter was sent off on the hour mark. Juventus turned the tie in their favour with late goals from Cristiana Girelli and Agnesi Bonfantini. Arsenal scored a late equaliser through the England international Lottie Wabenmoy in a one-all draw against the German side Wolfsburg at the Emirates. In tennis, Japan's Naomi Osaka has made a winning start at the Miami Open. The former world number one showed signs of moving on from her early exit at Indian Wells by beating the Australian Astra Sharma 6-3-6-4. That sets up a second round meeting with Angelique Kerber. In the men's draw, Britain's Jack Draper is through to the second round where he will face his compatriot Cameron Norrie. Draper, Draper, ranked 146 in the world, defeated the Frenchman Gilles Simon 7-5-6-1. In the men's game, Australia are looking to build on their lead against Pakistan as play resumes shortly in the third and final test in Lahore. The hosts were bowled out for 268 in reply to Australians. Australia's first innings total of 391. At stumps on day three, Australia were 11 without loss, 134 runs ahead. And finally, the weather, cloudy to overcast with occasional rain. It'll be cool in the morning. Moderate to fresh easterly winds, occasionally strong offshore. Outlook, still some showers tomorrow, and showers will ease off gradually during the day. Humid with fog on Saturday. The temperature right now, 18 degrees Celsius, relative humidity, 89%. And that's your main bulletin at 1 from RTHK.
Good afternoon and welcome to the 123 show with me, Sadia Usmani. On the show today after 1.30, my guest will be Connie Maoshan. Connie, a writer and picture book illustrator, was inspired to create a picture book about Hong Kong animals after volunteering with an animal rescue charity. She's currently running a workshop for children at the Hong Kong International Young Readers Festival and I'll be finding out a little bit more about her work. After 2pm, it's Thursday, which means we have Chinwag. And this week, my guest is Christy Lay, RTHK Radio 3 producer. And she's going to be talking to me about dating apps. Mm, sounds interesting. And then after 2.30, artsing around, Andrew Dembina speaks to local painter Kurt Chan about his Sky Rains Green exhibition. And that's all coming up between now and 3 o'clock. Challenge what the future holds Try and keep your head up to the sky Lovers, they may cause you tears Go ahead, release your fears Stand up and be counted Don't be ashamed to cry You gotta be, you gotta be bad You gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough You gotta be stronger You gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you gotta stay together 